0: What an amazing uh, opportunity and blessing we have to celebrate the risen Christ, amen? Um, You know, I saw that news story this morning when I woke up about the Sri Lankan uh, churches, and I was like, oh, just think... And you've mentioned, Michael's mentioned uh, on a number of occasions recently how God has impressed on your heart to be lifting up in prayer and interceding on behalf of those around the world who are believers and can't celebrate and don't necessarily have the freedom that we have to worship and who are being persecuted. And sometimes we experience some hardship here in our Western Hemisphere and we think it's pretty rough, but you know, our perspective is sometimes a little skewed as to what true persecution is for faith. So... We certainly keep them in mind. So this morning, Sayer actually has something for uh, anybody, mostly youth, okay? You're going to pass that out. She, our, our girls are always wanting for us to develop uh, something that they can follow along with. And so I thought on Easter Sunday we would try and try and do that. So he's got, she's got something for the kids. You guys can follow along as much as you want or as little as you want, fill in blanks, things like that. But as she's passing that... Um, hopefully, Amy can elbow you when you start to dri- when you start to uh, doze off. Just give him a good elbow, okay? Navigate to Luke chapter 23 first. This morning, hopefully, we will have an opportunity to look at what our salvation in Christ awards us—not just simply the rescue from condemnation, but the blessing that we have to spend eternity with Christ Jesus. And so we're going to have a launch passage or a launch scripture for a moment in Luke chapter 23, and look at verse 42. And can somebody read that for me? When somebody somebody gets there, go ahead and shout it out. Go ahead, Michael. Luke 23, 42? Yes, please. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus' reply was... Now you guys know that story, or that event. Jesus is hanging there on the cross, and he's between two criminals. And those criminals are there because they did some crime, right? They are supposed to be there. They are legitimately paying the price for their activity, And one, you know, basically rebukes Jesus, ridicules him. But the other one, as we just read, says, I have faith. And Jesus' response is, Surely today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful reality? And I think that shows us a couple of things. The first thing that that reveals is that salvation is found in no one else. There wasn't anybody else that that thief on the cross could look to to save him for eternity. Acts 4.12 says, There is no other name under heaven by which we can call upon and be saved. Both criminals were being hung there. Both had an opportunity to see truth and to see the reality and to see the Messiah. One said, Why don't you save yourself? Why don't you get down? And the other says, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember what Jesus said to Martha at Lazarus' passing? I am the resurrection and the life. Though somebody may experience the first death, faith in me means you don't experience the second death. It's true of us, friends. Our faith in Jesus means that though we pass from this life, we get to be with Him for eternity. The second thing we might see from this account on the cross is that salvation is a commitment in our hearts and a confession with our lips and our mouth. In other words, no deeds, right? That thief who believed in Jesus that day on that cross... Was he able to go do a bunch of things? On Friday night, we got to come together as a group of believers and we celebrated our threefold communion, right? Was that thief able to go celebrate communion? So he wasn't saved by that. He didn't get to wash anybody's feet. He didn't get to take of the bread and cup. He didn't go and do anything else to earn or acquire his salvation. Romans 10.9 says that if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouth, we will be saved. That's all he did. And friends, our salvation is not rooted in the things that we can do either. It is rooted in our faith in our hearts and confession with our mouth. No baptism. No communion. Just trust in Jesus. The third thing we might see from this account is that this confession, this is what we're going to spend some time looking at this morning, this confession by that thief necessarily meant that he would be with Jesus that day in paradise. He would be transferred from this life into Jesus' presence in Jesus' eternal kingdom upon passing. That day. How beautiful is that? That's true of us too when we pass from this life we get to be with Jesus turn to second Corinthians chapter 5 for a second we studied this uh, what a few few months ago second Corinthians chapter 5 look at verse 8. Paul says we are of good courage, And I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So Paul reveals something to us there. and He says that to be absent from this life, from this body, as Michael often reminds you guys of this meat suit, (laughs) means that we get to be present with the Lord as believers. And that's what we're going to spend some time looking at this morning, is what that means. We're going to look at three things. Okay? What will heaven be like? What will we be like? And what will we be doing? So when we are with Jesus, and we are present with Him for eternity, what will heaven be like? What will we be like? And what will we be doing? And so, as we look at what heaven might be like from what we know about Scripture, the first part I want to draw out here is, it is going to feel like home. It will feel Perfect. Alright? When we arrive and we see Jesus face to face, it is going to feel like home and perfect, like we were always destined and designed for it. Look at verses 1 through 4 of 2 Corinthians. You're already there. Verses 1 through 4 says, For we know that if the earthly tent This is our bodies, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So what Paul tells us there in verse 1 is that heaven will be eternal and it is especially prepared for us by God. That's what Paul reveals in verse 1 there. He says he has prepared it especially for us and it's been prepared by the hands of God himself. And Paul says in verse 4 that heavens going to be sort of a pinnacle of triumph over death. Right? He says that the mortal will be swallowed up by life. It is going to feel perfect. It is going to feel like home. How many of you know that when you go away sometimes and you sleep in another bed, you long for getting back home? We went on vacation with the pamperins. (laughs) Yeah. We went on vacation with the Pamperins a few years ago, and we're down at a beach house. The very first night we get there, now I don't know that we knew this until the next morning. We wake up the next morning, and we're we're having breakfast, and we're all gathering around, and we learn that at like 11.30 last night, Michael leaves the beach house, drives like an hour away to Walmart to get special mattresses and pads and all kinds of stuff to make the bed more comfortable. Because he couldn't sleep in the bed the very first night. Couldn't even make it through one night. Okay? So we nicknamed him Princess in the P after that. <laughs> but but there's a reality to that. You you love when you get home because it's it's for you. It's been designed for you. It feels comfortable and it feels like you're supposed to be there. And the mattress is shaped. For your body. And when we get to heaven, it is going to be perfect and it is going to feel like home. And Paul says, because it has been designed for us, and because we have been designed for it by God. The second point that we'll see this morning in terms of what heaven will be like, is that Jesus will be physically present with us in heaven. Turn to John chapter 13. Gospel of John chapter 13. You keep your fingers maybe in, in Corinthians as well. We might come back to that. Gospel of John, chapter 13. Look at verse 36. You know, Jesus had uh, predicted his betrayal and was sharing with the disciples that he was going to be going away. And Simon Peter, verse 36, said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow later. And then flip over to John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. So what we see here is that Jesus is promising to his disciples, I'm going away for a period. And he says to Peter, you can't follow me now, but later, you will be able to follow me. You will come to where I will be. And he promises his disciples, if I go away, I will come back to receive you. I go to prepare a place for you, and because that is taking place, I'm going to come back and receive you to myself. So what we see here, is that Jesus is going to be present with us. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 again. Hope you kept your finger there. I did not. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 5 through 9. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. So he tells us in verse 5, right now we have the Holy Spirit living in us, but when we are in heaven, we will be physically with God. He will be with us. Jesus will be with us. Verse 8, we saw this earlier. To be absent from this body means to be present from the Lord Revelation 21 we'll get to that a little bit later on but he says that God will dwell with us he will dwell among us and we will be called his people so we have the Holy Spirit now as a pledge and he resides in us and he lives in us and he gives us wisdom and he counsels us but he's still invisible isn't he and we don't see Jesus face to face now, but when we get to heaven, we get to reside and be with Jesus for eternity. And friends, that's so much better than it is now, isn't it? Think about when you like faceTime somebody. you, you know you're, you're kind of seeing that person, but you're kind of not, right? You know, as good as FaceTime is now with technology to see somebody's face and communicate directly, it's still not the same as being right there with that person, is it? And so Paul reveals to us that we have this longing that, yes, we've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the third person of the Trinity residing with us now, but there will be a time where we reside for eternity with the Triune Godhead, and it's going to be so much better. It's going to be so much better than just FaceTime across the seas. And then our third thing we might look at about what heaven will be like This is probably my favorite, if I may say. You guys have heard this from me before. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more pain, and no more suffering in heaven. Paul says in Romans 8.18, Our present sufferings do not even come close, I'm paraphrasing, come close to the glories we will experience in heaven. Our present sufferings, even the Sri Lankan church is not going to compare by any means to the glories that we will receive and experience in heaven. You're in 2 Corinthians, turn to chapter 4. You guys are getting a workout this morning, aren't you? Your fingers are are moving. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So even when you're struggling in this life, and even when things are really, really difficult navigating through this world, and as long as they may feel like they're playing out in your life... Paul promises us that it's just temporary. And as bad as it might feel, it pales in comparison to the glories we will see when we arrive in heaven. And then in Revelation 21, verse 4, you don't necessarily have to go there yet, it says that God will wipe away every tear, there will no longer be any death, there will be no mourning, or crying, or pain. And he says, for the first things have passed away. And so what I think maybe is important for us this morning with regards to this point is that oftentimes we probably have a tendency, and it's a natural tendency because we have mortal faculties, but we have a tendency to maybe view what we understand about heaven through uh, an earthly lens. In other words, it's hard for us to comprehend how glorious it's going to be when we experience sort of the natural struggles that we have here and now. I kind of think about in terms of scale and lens and stuff like that. We were designing for a house for a a husband and wife client of ours. And they were um, what I call white-collar farmers. They had these huge million-dollar combines with air-conditioned cabs and stereo systems and everything. And they were millionaires several times over, owned lots and lots of land out towards the uh, Xenia area and stuff like that. And so they wanted a new custom house, and it was a several-million-dollar house. And what was interesting was, as we were going through the design process with them, at the time, they were residing in a double-wide trailer. It was a temporary thing for them. They had moved out of their previous house. They were hanging out in this double wide while we were designing this new house to be built. And as we're going through the design process, they kept wanting spaces to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The kitchen had to get bigger. The master suite had to get bigger. And we were cautioning them. We were saying, there's a scale that we need to respect here. And what we realized was going on in their internal psychology was they were going home after every meeting with us and going to this double wide trailer, right? And eating in this kitchen that was this big and sleeping in this bedroom that was this big. And so their scale was off. Their perspective, the lens they were using to filter through what we were showing them was skewed because of what they were experiencing when they went home. I think sometimes when we consider what we we know about heaven, what Jesus has promised for us, we still have a tendency to view it through an earthly lens and to not grasp how amazing... And it's no fault of our own. We have human faculties, and there's only going to be so much that we can understand, right? But it's going to be so amazing. It's going to be so amazing. And so Paul is reminding us in Scripture in general... Don't get stuck looking at life now through sort of a typical lens. But in as much as possible, let's have an earthly or an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective as we go through life. So that's a little bit about what heaven is going to be like. Of course, we know in Revelation that John saw, you know, streets of gold and the New Jerusalem and, and precious stones and all this. But I wanted to kind of spend some time in terms of what it's going to feel and be like this morning. Now, the second section this morning. The second consideration will be us. What will we be like in heaven? Well, the first point I want to highlight again, after no pain, no sin, no more death is my second favorite. We get new bodies. Amen to that. We get new bodies in heaven. The thief on the cross when he was transferred from this life into paradise he got a new body and we will as well turn with me if you would to first corinthians chapter 15 i believe michael used this maybe two years or three years ago for an easter message a great chapter 15 1 corinthians chapter 15 great great uh discussion about resurrection we will start in verse 50 and go through 55 But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. In verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And so in verse 50 he says, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In other words, God must replace our earthly bodies because they just don't fit in heaven. Our earthly bodies will just not work there, will they? Our earthly bodies have been designed for earth. They have become tarnished. They've become dirty with sin. They're broken. They're frail. They're limited. They won't work in heaven. And so we get new, imperishable bodies with no more pain, no more suffering, no more hurt, no more aches, no more delays when we want to participate in sports, no more sidelines. Some of you know that... Uncle Brent and I fancy some older audio technology. And some of you have seen at our house that we have a reel-to-reel machine that plays tapes that are circular. We have a CD player that plays brand-new digital discs. We have um, record players that play records. But what doesn't work is to take a circular reel and put it on that record player and try to play it, right? Nor can you take that record and put it on that reel-to-reel machine and and will it work. Nor can you take that digital CD, put it on the record player, put it on the reel-to-reel machine, it just doesn't work, right? Each has its own little environment and technology. And the thing about the reel-to-reel machines and the thing about the record players is that it's an analog technology And every time it's used, there's actually wear and tear. Every time that tape runs through and across those magnets, there's wear and tear. Every time that needle on that record player sits in that groove of that record, there's wear and tear. But with digital, there's no touching, there's just a lens and a beam, and it's red. And there's no degradation. Two completely different systems. Every day that passes in this life, we get a little bit more worn. A little bit more worn out. But you could say we'll have digital bodies when we get to heaven. Amen? There will be no more wearing out. It's a whole new system. It's a whole new technology. And it's been designed to work in heaven where this has not been designed to work in heaven. Second point under, what will we be like? Our new bodies will not experience pain. Revelation 21.4, there will be no more pain. This is not just emotional, but it's physical as well. Um, I Many, many years ago, I heard a Christian radio program who had invited their callers and their audience to call in and share something that they were excited about with regards to eternity, or I don't know the exact phraseology. I remember driving in my car. I remember hearing this caller call into this radio program. And he said, what I'm most excited about when I get to heaven. He said, I've been blind from birth. And he said, the very first face I'm going to see will be Jesus. I'm telling you, I'm driving. It was like all I could do to like keep it together. I was like, how... Beautiful is that for that gentleman he, he's going to get a new a new body. he won't be experiencing not that blindness you know was physical pain for him, but you know it caused him trouble in this life. You know it added a burden, and that's going to be completely erased and taken away. So we get new bodies. we won't experience any more pain. And then our third point under, what will heaven be like? We ourselves will be known by others. I believe that we will still be known to each other when we arrive in heaven. Turn to Matthew, if you would, please. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 8. fingers. Chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now he's referring to the Roman centurion. In verse 11, and he says, and I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So he's revealing to us that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be known as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in heaven. And he's saying many will come from the east and west. So in other words, not just this Jewish audience that Jesus had been interfacing with to date, but all of us Gentiles who have been grafted into the body of Christ. In Matthew 26, Michael kind of reminded of this, us of this on Friday night. Jesus at the Last Supper in the upper room mentioned to his disciples he said i will not eat and drink of this cup again until i am with you in heaven so he's revealing to the disciples that when they are there with him is the next time that he will be partaking of that he prays in john chapter 17 that his disciples when they arrive will see him in all of his restored glory Paul reveals in First Thessalonians that part of the heavenly reward of himself and his missionary contemporaries and partners will be the joy that they get to experience when they see those they have led to Christ united at his return. In other words, he says in First Thessalonians, our joy is you and the opportunity we're going to have to see you reunited. Reunited to Christ at his return. And he also says to his Thessalonian audience, we're going to be reunited with those who have fallen asleep before us. He says, don't be ignorant about these things. Don't be misinformed. Because somebody has fallen asleep or passed away prior to us, be assured you'll get to see them again in eternity. I think about King David as well. Remember King David's son that was passing? He was very, very ill. And David was mourning for his son while he was so ill. But then when his son passed away, David just propped right back up and went back to life as normal. And his servants and his whole household looked at him and said, We don't understand. He was was mourning while his son was sick. But when his son passed, now he's back to normal and he's okay. We don't get it. And David revealed that what he knew about the character of God was that once his son had passed, he would, he would see him again in heaven. He could mourn while he was still sick because he wanted for him to be cured and made healthy again. But once that was no longer possible, he said, I'll see him again one day in heaven. I'm going to recognize him. I'm going to know my son. I will be reunited with my son for eternity. We will all get to fellowship together in heaven now our last section this morning what will we be doing in heaven what will we be doing this is somewhat more ambiguous there's some somewhat concrete passages and then there's some more ambiguous stuff a lot of this we'll just leave for Michael when he uh, does his uh, message series on the kingdom of heaven which is coming up shortly and then right after that when he does his um, revelation study so I don't know that that's actually happening. I'm just giving myself an out for not having to go into depth this morning. So, when we consider what we will be doing in heaven for eternity, the first category, the first principle or point I want to make is that we will experience a period of judgment, and let me just say, rather, um, an evaluation of our earthly stewardship. In other words, there will be a... uh, what, hey, Susan, what do you guys call that annual review? What do you guys have? Is it self-assessment? No, not a self-assessment. We're, we're going to have like a, a sit-down with Jesus and he's going to review and evaluate uh, our stewardship when we're on this side of heaven. Did you guys know that? Now, this is not a judgment about whether we get in or out, right? We know that our salvation in Christ Jesus guarantees us eternity with him. But there will be an evaluation of our stewardship now in the way we care for the things of God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.10, you don't have to necessarily go there, but Paul talks about how he had laid a foundation which was the gospel and nothing more. And he talked about how other teachers might come in and they might want to lay some other foundation which is not of of Jesus Christ. And he says, don't fall victim to that. But he says, many will build on the foundation that I have laid, which is the gospel of Christ. And he says, that's a great thing. That's an okay thing. But he starts talking about various building materials that they might use. And he reveals some sturdy building materials. And he reveals some unsturdy building materials like straw and hay and things that can be consumed and washed away. And his point there is that those will be tried by fire. And the strong building blocks that are of Christ will remain, and they will be proven, and the other stuff will be burned. And he says, as though narrowly escaping. So in other words, a believer will arrive in heaven, and will see Jesus, and spend eternity with us. Yet, his works here may get burned up in the fire. second point I want to make this morning we will be part of an entire and I'll call ecosystem designed to glorify God how many of you heard the term ecosystem as it pertains to technology and maybe people often describe Apple as having an entire ecosystem of products you know at our house you walk into our house and uh, you'll see a handful of iPhones sitting there on the ledge with a bunch of iPhone chargers that we're all fighting over I should go get an Android just so I have my own charger. You'll see an, a little Mac Mini and a screen sitting downstairs. You'll see iPads sitting around. You'll see my MacBook Pro sitting around. And all of these devices, All have got two Apple TVs. They all interface seamlessly. They all work very, very well. Our house is an entire ecosystem of Apple products. And I would say... Heaven is set up and will be designed and will exist to be an entire ecosystem to glorify God. God is going to be the star in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're almost done this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. Paul says that he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. Now, this particular passage we will cover when we come back to the second half of our study of 2 Corinthians. It's a very, very neat uh, scripture and, and verse. Uh, it requires significantly more time than what we have for this morning. But what Paul reveals is that he was afforded an opportunity and a vision of heaven. And unlike John, what Paul experienced and saw was indiscernible in human language. So he comes back, he doesn't leave, but he shares with others it was glorious, it was awesome, but I didn't understand it. In other words, there's an entire vocabulary, there's an entire language, there's going to be an entire means by which we praise and glorify God for eternity. And it's not unlike... What we talked about with regards to our bodies, it's not something that we use here today. Revelation seven, verses nine and ten says, People from every tribe and tongue will be worshiping God. Revelation nineteen, verses seven through ten, says that Jesus is often referred to as the groom and the church is his bride, and what we see there is this perfect union between the bride and the groom. And John was mistaken for a second because he thought his escort was worthy of praise and the escort says, "Don't praise me, praise God. He's the one that is worthy of all honor and glory." I was uh, at an event in our building and I heard this cool quote and I had sent it to Michael, I don't know maybe it was at the beginning of the year. It's AW. Tozer. Now listen to what AW. Tozer said about worship. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Think about that. Because that's what we will be doing in heaven. So anybody who finds it boring and is turned off by it now might not be ready for heaven, he says. Now the third thing that we'll point out in terms of what we'll be doing this morning in heaven. Third thing. We will reign with Christ. We will reign with Christ. I think about Luke chapter 16 where Jesus uh, gives the parable of the stewards and the servants. And he says, whoever is faithful with little can be faithful with much. But if you're dishonest with a little, you might be dishonest with much. And so, one of the things that Jesus is revealing both in a, an immediate earthly circumstance but even in a heavenly circumstance is that when we prove to be good stewards here we can be good stewards and entrusted with the things of the Lord in the future. 2 Timothy 2.12 Let's go there. That would probably be the... The last one. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. Verse 11. Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with Him, we shall also live with Him. Verse 12. If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. You guys have heard us talk about this chiastic structure before. But the real point I want to highlight here is that if we have died and we have with Christ, we will live with Him. But then he also says, if we endure now, we shall also reign with Him. If we are faithful, steadfast, and persevere in the things now, we get to rule and reign with Christ Jesus. Revelation 3.21 says, He who overcomes will sit with Jesus on His throne. In other words, we will rule with Him in His kingdom. Revelation 5, 9 and 10 says that our reign and our rule will be upon this earth with Jesus. We get to reign and rule with Him in eternity. Then Revelation 20, verse 6, I'll read this for you as we close. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. And then the last thing that we'll look at, last and final passage, Revelation 22, and I'm going to have you guys turn there. As we pull all of this together, and we've considered that our salvation not only just rescues us from eternal condemnation, that would be the mercy attribute of God. God's mercy has, has rescued us from the penalty of our sin that we are rightly due to pay. But the grace of God affords us the benefits of eternity. So not only have we just been rescued from condemnation, but we've been given this amazing place to live with fellowship with God and a job responsibility of praising and glorifying Him and reigning with Him for eternity. Revelation 22, verses 1-5 through And He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And verse 3 says, And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And in verse 5, And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light or lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful truth for us. I'll say this in closing. Many of you might know of the author of Amazing Grace, John Newton. John Newton said this when he was asked about eternity, and I think maybe it was even used to manipulate or try to trick him. And he said he expected to be surprised in three ways when he got to heaven. The first was... um, to see people there that he didn't expect to see there. And that will be true of us. Some of us probably know people in this life, and we go, there's no way that person's saved. But you know what? Like the thief on the cross, their confession in Jesus, even if their life doesn't look perfectly stellar, their confession with their mouth and their belief in the heart means that they get to spend eternity with Jesus. The second thing he expected to be surprised by was, To not see people whom he expected to see there or thought he would see there. Michael shared this in the message last week. That even the church pews are not 100% saved. And people will look out at the church and assume that every person there will be in heaven. And that may not be true. And the third thing that John Newton said that he expected to be surprised by when he got to heaven... Was for himself to be there. Knowing the utter depravity and wretched nature that he was as a man. And to be so moved by the reality that Christ's death on the cross was more than enough to pay for even the wretched, sinful man that he was. Paul himself called himself the chief of sinners, right? Right? Romans 7 he wrestled with this old man and this new man oh wretched man that I am who will save me from this body of sin praise be to God in Christ Jesus he is the rescuer and so while we don't deserve heaven Jesus sees fit on our behalf that we will be with him for eternity amen